Good evening, gorgeous people. I'm Aaron Ryan and welcome to the Big Brother After Show eviction interview. Tonight, it was the end of the road for Dave. Brenton made a big play in putting up Dave, Reggie and Estelle, meaning whichever way the vote went, a favourite would be leaving. Tonight, a change of pace. We will talk Big Brother, of course, but I wanted to use this opportunity as an invitation to the audience to allow them to get to know more of this incredible man who we have affectionately got to know as Farmer Dave. Dave, thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, thanks thanks for having me. And uh, what a wild ride. And uh, But I'm glad, I'm glad that it's over. It's like, you know, when, you, when you're riding a, a bronc and um, you've done your eight seconds, just get off, just get off before you break something. <laughs> it, it was a, a heartbreaking eviction though, even though you're saying you wanted to go, your speech about Reggie, um, and then you trying to vote yourself out. Um, I was in full sobbing, you know, moment there. Well, with all that emotion, is, is this more than a TV show? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, you've got to remember that it's our lives. Like it's actual real life for us. Uh, it's called reality TV for a reason. It's, it's our realities. It's an entertainment show. Yes, we are entertaining the public and maybe we we do a few things here and a few things there um to push the envelope and um to create um some engagement but at the end of the day it's it is our reality and the relationships that i created in the house were genuine uh they're lifelong and uh it's the fact that there were cameras all around i suppose and, you, and you're part of an entertainment package for people but it's it, they're genuine and um you know people like me that live our lives authentically uh it hits you hard when you are gonna leave this alternate universe and and never see these people again in the circumstance that you've got to know them mm. i mean you've got an incredible heart why did you try and vote yourself out <laughs> what was the alternative you know <laughs> like Reggie, you know, my game was to keep Reggie there. Like that was my game to support her. And, and, uh, so what I do in my real life is I support vulnerable people so that they can be their best selves. Mm. And, you know, you've got a safety net for others and create space and make space so that others can fill that gap that probably weren't able to hustle and bustle their way in. Uh, so there was just no question about Reggie and Estelle, you know, she was my OG, um, we we went through so much of supporting each other, being on the same team. So you've got to step back and, and nominate the person that you want or think has done their dash and has got everything out of the experience that they want. And that's, you know, how I voted the whole way through was always ensuring that the people that I believe needed more of the experience um, should stay and the people that don't should go. And I was the one that didn't need any more. Like mm. I'd gotten... I wanted out of it. That final challenge you did where you were sort of suspended in the air on that slippery slide thing, holding, holding yourself up. When you pulled out and you were at the bottom, you said, I feel like a complete failure. Why did you say that? And, and why do you think that? Um, look, I, I knew that challenge was the challenge that, uh, would break me. Uh, it's, Resilience. The challenge was called resilience, and that's what I do every day is I build resilience up in young people so that they can take on the world 
and, and stay alive and stay out of prison and, and be prepared for everything that's coming for them. Uh, but I was done. And when you know that you're, you're done, you're done, and, and it's hard to sometimes accept that. Mm. Um, it's about giving in the towel, but it's like knowing that this is not my fight. Like right now, this is, you got to pick your battles, and that was not my battle. And, and I, was, I was fine with it, but at the same time, you know, your ego and your culture and, and everything around you that says that you can't give up, um, that black dog on your shoulder barks his head off and says, you're a failure, you're a loser. And, mm. and, sometimes, and fun, sometimes our mouths echo that. And our heads sometimes are an echo chamber and, and that black dog echoes through our heads and that's when we get down and that's when we get depression. But it's about our true selves going, no, I'm not a failure. Uh, this is just not my battle. And I, I didn't want to fight that battle, that um, challenge just... Um, my body has been through a lot. Like I've, yeah. I've come many horses, that many motorbikes, I've rolled that many utes. I've done <laughs> out of too many planes. Um, I've, I've busted my body up really, really hard. And every, every injury that I've ever, ever sustained in my life um, was just begging me to say, get out of the challenge. So, but the black dog said you're a failure. And I suppose I, I said it out loud, um, hmm. but I'm not a failure. I'm not a failure. Well, so well, you said about failing that challenge, though. What do you think about your overall time in the in the Big Brother house? Was that was that a pass or a failure? I think it was a resounding success. I mean, there was two reasons I wanted to go in the house again, and I swore black and blue that I would prefer to eat cut glass and ever go back in the Big Brother house again. <laughs> But look, the, the stars aligned, the universe opened up and, and uh, the opportunity came that I would, would go on it. Um, that's a whole nother story, as, as was the first time that I went on any, anyway. But uh, um, yeah, resounding success, because I, I wanted to promote the work that I do, and that is uh, allowing people in our extremely privileged and wealthy nation um, to understand that there are teenagers going through hell through no fault of their own that are making poor choices and there's a solution and rough tracks that's and i wanted to promote that that idea that there is a whole network of organizations out there that are ensuring that hurt people don't hurt people but we can we can catch kids before they um uh cause a lifetime of grief for themselves and others when they're teenagers and we can get them on the right track and we can empower them to make better choices. And I wanted to sing that from the rooftops and, and really tell that story, which, which I did. And, 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 you know, I'm doing it right now. Mm. And the other one, um, the other reason was to really challenge myself because the big brother house is, is a place that you can go and it's a mirror and you can ask yourself, do I like who I am right now? And I did that 16 years ago. I held a mirror up to myself and Australia held a mirror up to itself. And it's like, do we, do we like gay people? Are they okay? Can they exist? Or should we keep encouraging them to kill themselves? Should we keep bashing them? Should we keep um, 200 plus law against their being equal citizens? Should we keep doing this or should we change? And um, so for me, it was about holding a mirror up to myself and, and just having a check-in and, 
having a break as well from, you know, two years of solid no breaks, um, working seven days a week with vulnerable kids. Um, so it was a check-in to go, you know what, am I, am I okay with who I am right now? So for you, it was the TV show for the, for people watching <laughs> me, it was, um, a check-in and a reevaluation, and uh, am I happy with where I'm going right now? Because when you when you live a life like me, it's full throttle. Um, it's sometimes hard to take a break, take stock, and go. You know what? Am I happy with who I am? Am I the person that I wanted to be when I was eight years of age? And am I the person that an eight-year-old me would go? Thanks, thanks. You did good with your life. Mm. I want to dig into a few of those things that you've been talking about a bit further, uh, further, but just so uh, we can sort of finish up talking about, you know, specifically Big Brother, just to, on, a, on a fun note, um, you know how to pull some um, triggering lines for me, Dave. You must remember the challenge where you and Taras had that, that big barrel of like that yucky stuff and you had to get things out. You then rang the, <laughs> you, you, you then rang the bell and you said five words. Do you remember what those five words were? It would be something along the lines of by the power of grace. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> that is such an eighties thing. I've still I still own every uh, episode on DVD of, of He Man. I think that was a um that that was an awesome show. I think I mean I'm bisexual, but I, I'm pretty sure that might have been got me thinking at the time. Who was hotter, He Man or Shearer? <laughs> what a what a what a great <laughs> reference to the eighties that one was. Yeah, he was uh, he was my absolute rock star. Did I did I realize that I was a, a gay man? Probably not. But did I just absolutely uh, adore He Man and just wish that um, that my my dog would grow into a, an amazing uh, hardcore battle cat? <laughs> oh, I just love the reference. It was so eighties. It probably went over a lot of people's heads. That one. Um, talking That's about most gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> so on to something else about like Tim. So what really happened with you and Tim in the house? He, he went after you um, and it looked really full on, but I, I think they're seeing, he, he seemed to be really hurt. Um, are you guys close on the outside? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in, in fact, I've spoken to Tim today. Um, he's still in the house. How is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, Tim and I have a very, very close relationship it's, it's kind of, the only way to explain it is like a cross between my brother and my lover. Uh, like, yeah, of course we have disagreements like brothers do where we love each other like lovers do, but it's brotherly, but it's next level. Uh, and, and you can only get that from an experience like Big Brother where you were, you have no outside influences no phone no socials no family no friends no going anywhere you're stuck in a situation that is fully intense and you really really connect with someone and and I've connected with Tim in a way that uh, I hoped that I would like what I really wanted to get out of this experience was to connect with adults because you know I work with teenagers have I, have I mentioned that um, <laughs> but um, with adults because it's really been missing from my life um, for the last few years. And um, before that, you know, being on a station in outback Queensland, you you don't really get to choose your friends. You, the neighbours are your friends, whereas uh, this was an opportunity to really connect and I really, really connected with Tim. And like any brother or lover relationship, yeah, you're going to have disagreements. 
But Tim is made for the Brick Brother universe. I, I'm not. And I suppose we had that dichotomy of struggle between our personality types. Whereas, you know, in the real world, we are very, very similar. We are highly empathetic people. He's a uh, disability support worker. I'm a, I'm a social worker. Um, we've both gone through incredible angst with our sexuality. Um, but we're also people that never give up and that was that was definitely seen in the different challenges as well so complex relationship mm. but a pure authentic and and real one that I, I absolutely cherish on a on another note there was a few times um that you wanted the ogs to get back on the same page and you referenced this because the adults should be not be acting like this in front of the young people what was it important for you to be a positive role model in the house was, was that why you would try to reference that um, look i tried every day not for my outside job to come into the house uh we did a lot of stuff that I do every day. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm all about empowering people. I'm all about making sure that each person plays their own game in their own lane. And the only person that they're competing against is their yesterday self. And the only person they need to impress is their tomorrow self. And uh, I, uh, I suppose that's just, just who I am as a person. Um, was I trying to display a certain side of myself? No, because uh, I just I just don't think I'm that intelligent <laughs> to uh, chuck on a mask and, and be that. I mean, I threw off my mask 16 years ago in the most fantastic, fabulous way in front of millions of people. I, I'm, I haven't got time for bullshit. I don't have time to try and make up some sort of uh, vision of myself. I'm the rawest human you can get to i just really think that what you saw was just how i live my life i want people to be kind but i also want people to be real and i want um people to be empathetic to others but also themselves well another thing that you enjoy uh as well about yourself is coffee i heard that reference on the show 654 times is it fair to say you enjoy a good coffee thank god i have this this coffee on my hands right now, fourth coffee for the day. Real coffee on the outside world. Um, and and believe it or not, while I was uh, while I was in the house, um, the kids put forward a, a youth-led project to actually get a coffee van. So whenever <laughs> we're doing performances around around Australia, we're gonna have a coffee van right next to the rough track performances as well. So I, uh, that was wonderful. But yes, I live for coffee it's my only joy in life <laughs> <laughs> let's go back um around the circle here because you were talking about when you were obviously previously on on big brother so let's go back to 2006 um and that moment on big brother when you came out as gay now that moment would have been um out of your you know your own personal experience your own personal moment and your own personal journey but did you consider for a moment the impact that that may, may have had on every other gay person that's been struggling, um, that has been unable to find their voice, or has been un unable to get the help they need to be upfront about their sexuality? I mean, I suppose in that moment, maybe you weren't thinking that, but I mean, that obviously you must have had that impact. So funnily enough, it was actually uh, quite the opposite. I, oh. I went on the show specifically 
to change Australia, to have a conversation with the millions of people wow. who in hours upon hours of Big Brother. I mean, back then, um, particularly that year, 2006, uh, there was how many countless of hours every single day of Big Brother, so many different shows built around the Big Brother house, plus the lives, plus the online lives, plus the fact you could um, watch on your phone live. There were so many ways to get into people's conversation and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a conversation because I came from a world where you were absolutely uh, encouraged by your friends, by your family to kill yourself if you were gay. Like that's just the given that I grew mm. up with. Um, to be gay was worse than any other crime. There, there is, and, and to think about that is just so bizarre. It's like being a left-handed person, you know, mm. how can a left-handed person is the worst crime in the world. But anyway, that's, that's the culture <laughs> I grew up in. And, and remember, Back then, you would easily be sacked for your job, legally sacked by your job. We were second-class citizens by hundreds and hundreds of laws across Australia. And in my lifetime, you were incarcerated. You were put in prison for being gay. So it was a very different time. It's not that long ago, but it was very different. And I very much so felt that Ian Roberts had changed the way that we look at masculinity, that we look at sexuality, but no one else continued the, the conversation. Ian Roberts did an amazing conversational starter to say that he, you know first class rugby league player can come out, but then nothing. It's it's like it's like oh it's too scary, and I'm like why can't someone do something? Why can't someone jump in to the narrative and and continue the conversation? Especially you know that time Brokeback Mountain was coming out. I'm an Anglican. And the Anglican faith was just being ripped apart by the fact that we had um, gay bishops being ordained in, in North America and Australia was going to go with Africa and, you know, schism the church because how dare we have gay people in our, um, in our uh, establishment. So just right across uh, the politics of Australia, you know, I had so many of my local politicians um, saying that gay people don't exist in the bush. How dare Hollywood try and take away our story? I wanted to be seen, I wanted to be heard, and I wanted to speak for every kid that went through the hell that I went through in boarding school, but also just in my own family. Like to grow up with your family, not knowing that you're gay, but telling you every day that gay people should be dead, to hear that constantly by your people working on your station or people in your town or your friends, your family, is debilitating and I don't think that any kid needed to deal with that. So I wanted to have a very, very open, honest conversation and I was fortunate to be able to do that through the Big Brother vehicle and uh, I didn't realise my own personal impact, how it would, it never occurred to me, how is this going to impact on me personally until I'd come out and then Camilla um, took it quite badly and I'm like, oh, shit, I have a personal story here. Mm. shit, how's my mum going to cope? Uh, what's my community oh. going to do? Family is, you know, how's my dad, even though my dad was an absolute bigot and, um, you know, uh, not the greatest human being to me, but um, but I, I just felt like, shit, how is my family going to cope with all of this and, and what's my life going to be like? So, yeah, I put my life 
secondary to the idea that I wanted better lives for young Australians, for old Australians, for any Australian that um, felt they didn't have a place and they weren't heard and they weren't seen. So we fast forward then to 2022. I think gay marriage is legalised um, and we've come, you know, a lot further. Why, why do you think there's still pressure on gay people to actually have to come out? I mean, I say that because I've been heterosexual. People don't announce that they're heterosexual. Um, it's just what, what it is. You know, a guy called Brad, Brad just tells everyone that he likes a, a girl called Sarah. Um, why can't Steve just tell people, you know, oh, there's a, I, I like a, a person called Scott. Um, you know, without it being, you know, an actual thing that's built up to this big moment of actually coming out. But we're still in this, you know, having to come out moment. I mean, why do you, why do you think that is? Uh, look, I probably would have disagreed with you and said oh. that it's not a big issue. I, I came out a few times in this Big Brother house to the young people who didn't know I was gay. Uh, I think three or four times I came out to the young people and they're like, oh, and, and it wasn't a big deal. But you know, Rebel Wilson's just come out with her, her, um, her partner who's a female and it is a big deal um so yeah I, I it is strange uh but we're still on a journey as as a people and i suppose uh yeah it's 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 just a realignment and then as soon as you realign and go okay well now i get it so we can we can move on um but i suppose as a bisexual person it it may be a little bit more easier to understand that you should just be with one or with with the other mm. and um but the, that you know have probably had to allow ourselves to be boxed in um uh, making that statement is is reaffirming and it gives you pride in the self-hatred that maybe you experience and maybe as well that maybe it's not the shock of others saying they're coming out maybe it's the elevation of others like I think Rebel Wilson's really being elevated as you know good on her that she's finally found herself and she's found her truth and she's found her voice to be able to say hey this is me and this is who I am and this is that I want to see this person right now so mm. I think it's extremely different and um except for maybe you know the religious parts of Western Sydney <laughs> maybe they're going a little bit <laughs> Look, you're such a beautiful person, both on air and also with the great work that you do with young people. Um, but that integrity and warmth um, obviously has been built upon struggles and challenges um, in your life. Can, can you tell me about those those struggles and challenges? Because I guess they've, they've formed the person you are today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, I've had a hundred lifetimes in my 42 <laughs> years. You know, like, yeah. I, uh, I've always done things the hard way and that's what builds up the muscle, right? Like you, you don't, uh, you don't strengthen anything without training it hard. And, uh, yeah, my resilience is being brought about by, um, sometimes the most difficult of, of things that have happened since I was a, a small child. And, you know, look, I, I'll be open about it now, the, um, challenge of the, the cage, was um a lot and you saw a lot um unfold I didn't notice that I was in there but I didn't see it because you know when I was a kid I, I got put in a cage I got put in dog kennels and um oh you know like from a young age I I haven't had a good time of it but I never saw it as a bad thing 
um, until now I work with, you know, kids that have been through the most unspeakable things and realise, well, as much as I thought that I had such a privileged life, I think we all have terrible things occur to us, but it's about how we rise above it, move forward and accept it as our story and are okay with owning it. And I'm really okay with, with owning my journey, all the trials, the tribulations, the, the you know, being locked up in foreign countries or had guns smashed to my head in strange places or being left for dead in a pool of my own blood on the streets of Brisbane. You know, these things oh uh, strengthen and, and build you to be so strong. And I remember my mum saying to me when um, I, I said to her that I couldn't, couldn't exist anymore, you know, being bashed on a daily level, spat on on a daily level, being called a faggot on a daily level at, at boarding school when I was, I think I was about 14 or 15, my mum said to me, she said, this is what makes you the man that I know you'll be one day. And uh, she gave me a book and it was called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by I think Susan Jeffries. I never read the book, but that title is all that I need. And that is the mantra for my life. Feel the fear and do it anyway. So it doesn't matter if it's me jumping out of an aeroplane or me um, crossing a border into a country or going to the Arctic or climbing the Himalayas. It's this is fear and I'm going to harness this fear and I'm going to ride this fear and I'm going to use this fear just like a horse and I'm going to use it to get where I want to go. Not because I'm a control freak, but because this is an energy that I can own and I can, I can control and I can use to you know, live my best life because I'm not competing against anyone else. Mm. So what, what are you... Um... Long, long-winded answers are very no, straightforward. No, but, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I've had a tear in my eye. Um, you... Um, what do you what do you still what do you think you struggle with today still because i mean you have everything in, in your past and you know that still stays with you sometimes um are there things you still struggle with today funnily enough um that's one of the cool things that i got out of big brother two things that i got out of big brother this this journey time around one was to take a break because yeah two years i i hadn't had a break um i just was absolutely committed to to my three core goals of keeping the kids alive, keeping them out of prison and, and giving them the skills for that secure future. So having a break is what I got out of it. But um, but also acknowledging that I'm not a winner, that I'm not about getting on the podium, that I'm not about seeking the gold medal. I'm about elevating others. And it was a really hard realisation because our culture teaches us to win and our ego is always telling us to win. And I'm more okay to create space and then back away and allow others to fill that space. And that was a really hard realisation um, to know that I'm not a winner. And, I mean, I was on Dance with the Stars and I pulled out of that because I, I didn't feel like I had the right to be there as I was just such a terrible dancer. Um, and most things that I do, I usually pull out because I'm so afraid of the success. So I suppose that's what I'm afraid of a lot of is you know, most people are afraid of failure. I, I love failure because it gets me an opportunity to do it again. But success 
success is scary. That's probably the scariest thing for me is, yeah, to win. So I've created this coping mechanism to create space and let others win and elevate them. I suppose it depends on what your definition of, of winning is because you talk about yes. da- da- dancing with the stars um, and, you know, you say you're a terrible dancer, but the audience kept kept you in there longer and longer and longer. I mean, that's success and winning in itself because it was actually, if it wasn't your dancing, then it was obviously your personality, your heart, your, your the fact that you're trying so hard um, that actually kept you in the competition. So is, isn't that success? Yeah, I suppose it's how you define success. Um, what is it that uh, that you respect most? And if if those are the standards and you are meeting those standards, then maybe that is success. I don't know. Who knows? Do we do we, any of us really know what's going on? <laughs> do we just do our and uh, hope that we wake up again tomorrow to do it all over again? Look, you you, t- you touched on this, but I'd love to know more about Rough Track um, um, and the work you do with young people. Can you tell me more specifically about about what you do um, with that? Yeah, so we're a flexible safety net to ensure that those kids that have fallen deeply through the cracks bounce back up through the the, the cracks, and and we essentially keep them alive. We keep them out of prison, and we give them skills to break the cycles of violence, drug dependence, alcohol abuse. Um, and, and allow them to get on the path that probably wasn't paved for them. Uh, we live in such an, a privileged and wealthy, enormously wealthy, on a world scale, on a time scale of humanity, we are in the most privileged and, and uh, wealthy situation. I mean, we live better, you and me live better than any monarch in history from 100 years ago and before. So, and... Uh, but we still have these kids that are extremely abused in unspeakable ways by adults that probably themselves are hurt. And we know that hurt people hurt people. And what I'm about at Rough Track is allowing those hurt kids to be okay with that pain and know that it doesn't define them and that they don't have to hurt others to feel better about themselves and that they can uh, be empathetic with their own pain and be able to harness um, their own power and write their own story and be that author that allows them to own the next chapter of their life. They don't have to fall into the victim mentality. They don't have to fall into the bully mentality. They don't have to be that that girl because that's what they were named. Mm. And I truly believe that every young person I help means that there will be hundreds of less victims out there because if hurt people hurt people and someone is less hurt and more empowered and more resilient, then there'll be less victims in this world. And uh, the old adage of why why do we see all these kids drowning in the river? Go upstream and find out why they're falling in the first place. And that's what we do at Rough. It's a, it's a, a long way to say we've got an amazing oasis of a farm with workshops of metal fabrication, horticulture, um, animal care, carpentry, uh, art. We do all these things to build resilience and empowerment within young people so that they can manage aggression, they can manage violence and they can get a career and, uh, and kind of humans and um make choices that lead them to a, a better place um, that's quite different to the, the lot that they were given through no fault of their own. 
You, you did touch on this, but there's more and more like disengaged young people in our community. And I guess for a better term, you know, falling through the cracks as, you know, as people say, I mean, I have a whole heap of reasons why this might be the case. I was a, a prison officer for 10 years and I'm also a qualified teacher and, and chaplain. But for this interview, I mean, why do you think that, you know, that's the case that we're seeing more and more struggles um, in, in our youth? Uh, a lot. A lot has to do with, and, and look, I've travelled to 80 countries, and if you are unaware that you're down a crack, well, then you just get on with it, don't you? Mm. But when you see such enormous privilege around you and such a difference between yours and theirs, the, the haves and the haves not, I mean, think of the Russian Revolution, you know, the the changes in the antebellum period of the United States and, and the juxtaposition between the British settlers and the Aboriginal inhabitants of Australia. When you have this juxtaposition, you have conflict and then you have um, this tectonic plate shift. And I think now so many people have got this look around of millionaires everywhere. I mean, look at Sydney. If you own a house in Sydney, you're a millionaire. And if you don't, well, then you don't and life can crush down on top of you of the idea of you don't have and that they do and and maybe the only way to get something in life is just to, to take it and rebel against it. And I think that's, we're a product of our amazing wealth, privilege and success, but we're also a product of 250 years of, of punishment and incarceration as the solution to our problems. Mm. Certainly in my experience, um, giving leadership and, and ownership to young people allows them to soar. Have you found in your program that, that when you've taught a young person a new skill and, and they take ownership of that in whatever area that might be, I think, you know, horticulture, I think you said, and, or woodwork or mechanics or whatever, um, it, it, it may be that, that you see them flourish after that they actually learn new skills and have leadership. Have you found that to be the case? Well, that's exactly the core of what I'm saying is yeah. it's ownership. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, you know, when the British settlers came here, you know, the ownership is what created the cataclysm, the Russian revolution. It's the ownership of resources and it's the kids seeing that they have no hope and no ability to gain anything. They are useless and hopeless. So you're absolutely right. That is the exact core of our program is create ownership. Own your own shit. Doesn't matter. You're the author of your story. So own your own shit. Here's a skill. Empower yourself. Gain that skill. Here's all the knowledge. But it's up to you to make the choice. And and sometimes that's quite a brutal thing to say to a young person. It's your choice whether you take on this knowledge or not. Mm. It has to be their choice. You can't just give, 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 you know, the old silver spoon in the mouth. You've got to actually empower them to make that choice and uh, get into the property market, get into the job market, or just pick up that tool and give it a go. Mm. How many kids in my program who just refuse to pick up a tool? Like they've never had a tool in their hands and they're so afraid of being laughed at or failure or just not being good enough that they mm. don't even want to pick up. Like I've had kids not wanting to pick up a spanner because what if I hold it wrong? What if I do it wrong? You know, whereas 
if you have a no judgment system, which is what our dogs do in the program, because every kid gets a dog, uh, there's no judgment. Pick it up, mm. give it a go. Didn't work, so what? Do it again next time. Try a different spanner. Yeah. This might be a, a little bit um, long-winded, but um, I want to read a quote uh, to you from the Rough Track website. So you'll be obviously very aware of this. Um, but for the audience, it's from Theodore Roosevelt. Now, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who, who strides valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, um, who at, at the best knows in the end, the triumph of a high achievement and who the worst, if he fails, uh, at least, falls while daring greatly one might say beautiful um, but idealistic we live in a world um, and a media where one single mistake one poorly worded sentence or something that you said back in 1992 on twitter or something leads to shame dismissal cancellation and, and removal how can we live out this quote um, in the in the culture we live in today Three words. Big, big one. Robert Downey Jr. You can, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the rugby field, uh, the boxing ring or the street, uh, or it doesn't matter if it's the workplace or a relationship. It's not how you fall down. It's the fact that you were, you were there in the first place and you getting back up that, that matters. It's, there is no difference in this world of social media, I don't think. I think, yes, it's amplified and it's exclamated, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing. Have a go. Get out there and, and just do it. And there is no successful person that hasn't got a litany of failures behind them. Barack Obama didn't get um, voted president on his first election. He lost mm. lots and lots lots of elections. Uh, I'm sure that Teddy Roosevelt didn't come out with that amazing uh, speech the first time he spoke. He probably didn't even say mum or dad. He probably said a whole lot of gibberish until he was eight. But the thing is that the more you do something, the better you'll get at it. And it's mm. the active, it's the action that, that matters. And what Teddy Roosevelt's saying there is just get in the arena and do it because if you don't have sweat on your brow, then what does it matter what you think? What does it matter to me? If you're not playing this game, if you're not actually in the arena, then your commentary is just like the wind in the trees. Yeah, it might push and it might uh, move me, but it'll be gone and I'm still here. And, and that's what I teach the kids every day. Don't think what the crowd is saying. Either they're going to be with you or they're going to be against you, but just be your absolute best self. And whatever that looks like, it might be someone else's 5% is your 100%. But as long as you are just doing your absolute best and the better than you were yesterday, and hopefully you'll strive to do better again tomorrow. But it's, it's about having that sweat on your brow. That's, that's what matters. Do something. 
have action. Don't just sit in bed with your dreams, get out and chase them and, and make them happen. Well, last of the, the the big questions, um, Dave, I'm putting you in the seat of the, the Prime Minister. So let's pretend for a moment Elbow didn't get in and you did. <laughs> what 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 elements within our society would you like to see change so that we can be a society where um, young people are engaged, are positive, are motivated and see hope rather than, you know, what they're involved in now, you know, like there's suicide, detention, you know, lack of opportunity, lack of hope. What, what would you like, what elements of society would you like to see change? Well, I'm going to preface this with we live in an extraordinary country with an extraordinary safety net. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago that we'd have an NDIS? Who would have thought um, that we have a system who would have thought that we have um covid payments you know who would have thought that we have a national rollout of um uh, you know vaccines that stop you from from getting um cancer of the cervix you know like it's extraordinary the benefits that we have of this country and yet we still do want to put kids in prison for poor choices because again it's probably easier to um just shut them away rather than deal with the idea that we are still a village and we've still got to raise our kids. So if I was uh, if I was the purse strings of the nation, I would ensure that there are a lot more um, tracker network programs um, like the one that I'm about to go to this week uh, where we empower kids through their own choice making. Um, we're not just throwing money at problems, we're actually delivering true outcomes, which is ensuring that kids are mitigating their um, their poor choices and elevating their uh, their good choices and uh, ensuring that, that they learn the skills of letting go so that they don't end up in a domestic violence situation um, because they haven't had that uh, that learning ability and that's what you know animals do for us is they they give you that skill of being able to let go and and move on without having to hang on to something and, and create a, a terrible terrible situation for all involved so definitely yeah the solutions are there with the tracker tracker system with the backtrack way and um and the circle of courage that is you know mastery and generosity and the idea of uh, connection to community I normally ask at the end of these interviews, um, you know, obviously you'll be back for the Big Brother finale, but um, what's next for you? But I, I guess next for you is just back doing exactly what you've, you've been doing and, and helping these young people. Yeah, absolutely. Like last time I went straight back to the farm and thought there was a drought on last time. But um, but yeah, now I'm farming farming young people and uh, and wanting them to grow into their absolute best selves. But uh, yeah, we've got another show coming up that i'm involved with the kids and the dogs um very shortly in the next couple of weeks which will be a lot of fun uh we'll be filming that but uh yeah i'll just do whatever i can to keep banging on about the idea that we need to each individually invest um in our kids futures and uh and i i implore every single person that's that's listening and watching um to have a look at rough track and and look at the solutions that are there because they're in plain sight like let's not point the finger and say someone should do something about that when there actually are and uh, those three fingers are always pointing back at you and you can be part of the solution too so if people want to get involved in rough track um in whatever way can you give me details on how to do that i imagine just go to the website yeah roughtrack.com r-u-f-f-t-r-a-c-k 
They can go to our socials, see what the kids are doing. And, and you know, if you can't give money or, you, you, know, you know, you can't give job opportunities to the kids, um, you can leave a kind comment. And that's what I say whenever we do live performances. Just say a kind comment because you have no idea how few kind comments some of our kids get. And if we know that on our own social medias that 100 people can say a kind thing and one person says a negative thing, we focus on that. But if there's hundreds and hundreds of kind comments, well, we can't ignore them. And when you're surrounded by kindness, you're going to give that back. And maybe maybe that's what we want our young teenagers to do is, is be kind. And we've got to show them the kindness and respect first. So, yeah. And, of course, if you're in the Hawkesbury or in Sydney, you can come to a, um, a trivia night at PCYS Hits to raise funds for kids in the Hawkesbury that have been just, you know, fires, COVID, flood, 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 flood. Um, 25th of June, we've got all the housemates going to be there, some math stars, so 25th of June, and all the details are on the website. Woohoo! Um, and on a fun note too, I hear the, from the rumour mill that you're, that you're single, Dave. So I'll be going to see you on uh, Farmer Wants a Husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, I'm not going to lie. A lot of different shows have approached me for that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, uh, you know. Oh, you've dropped out. Oh, you... fuck me. Where did we go? Yeah, you, you dropped out. Oh, God. Um, um, <laughs> what was your question again? Yeah, you'll have to start it started again i said so the rumor mill dave is that you're you're still single dave are, are we likely to uh see you on something like farmer wants a husband well i'm not gonna lie like a lot of the different shows along that vein have reached out to me but um i'm i'm committed to uh working directly with with the kids and um and supporting them but look if an opportunity to talk about the rough track story presents itself in a way that can help raise money for the program, for the Tracker Network in whole, then as if I'd be so stupid to, to say never <laughs> again. <laughs> Look, I, um, I, I mentioned that Theodore Roosevelt quote earlier from the Rough Track side. I, I have another one for you, uh, um, and this one's from Queen Elizabeth II, which is timely oh, given, given My her... favourite human on this planet. Oh, maybe you know this quote. Um, you know, with all the, her recent celebrations, um, even with the inspiration of others, it's understandable that we sometimes think that the world's problems are so big that we can do little to help. On our own, we cannot end wars or wipe out injustice, but the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of goodness can be bigger than we imagine. And that was um, in Queen Elizabeth's uh, Christmas message in 2016. So Dave, um, you're the one that does those those thousands acts of, of small kindness and you're making big and, and positive impact in the lives of so many young people. So, um, you know, on behalf of all the people that, that I know you, that, you know, that you help, um, thank you. You do an awesome job. Thanks, mate. And we can all do it. It's, it's you know, that bit of rubbish that's on the street. Just pick it up and put it in the bin. You know, that thing that's out of place, do something about it. 
Yeah, be the change you want in the world and be the solution to all the problems. Um, yeah, we don't need to live in a world where it's someone else's someone else got to do something about that, right? And how kind of you to say such amazing stuff about the Queen and a Jubilee. <laughs> All right, Dave. Oh, no, no. Thank you for um, dropping by for a chat. It was wonderful learning uh, more about you and what you do. And I hope to see you in the finale uh, of Big Brother. Thanks, Dave. Likewise, Aaron. And thanks for your cool <laughs> interviews. I'm loving them. <laughs> Uh, an inspiring man to many, to myself and to young people in the wider community, Farmer Dave Graham there. That's it for this podcast. I'll see you soon for the next eviction. Take care. Good night.